Welcome to And Justice for All, the official podcast of Roosevelt University, exploring the relationship between education and justice, and the transformative power of inclusive education. Hosted by Roosevelt University President Ali Malekzadeh. What inspires me are students. What so many of them have overcome to be here. What so many of them do when they are here. What they do after graduation. Our guest today is no exception. His story is an inspiration. In this week's episode, guest host, Professor Andy Trees, sits down with senior Troy Gaston to talk about what brought him to Roosevelt and what he plans to do when he graduates. Spoiler alert, change the world. They also talk about his work as a community activist. Troy's passion is palpable. His positivity is contagious. His story, well, we just need to listen. Troy Gaston is a senior studying political science and legal studies. He's also a McNair scholar and vice president of the Student Government Association. Troy is a community activist in Chicago who organizes on genuine issues and networks with others to develop social and anti-poverty policies for already marginalized groups from an anti-authoritarian perspective. I am sure you will be as moved as I was by their conversation. I am fortunate to be here today talking to Troy Gaston. I have had Troy in several, is it three classes, Troy? Yes. <laughs> three classes. I've been very fortunate. Troy is a passionate and engaged student, really fun to teach, really fun to have in the classroom, taking part in discussions, also in various leadership positions at Roosevelt, and also an activist, and to be repetitive, quite an active activist, uh, as I've seen, which we'll talk about a little bit more. So, Troy, welcome today, and thanks for making some time to talk with me. Thanks for having me, Professor Troy. All right, let's jump right in. Troy, I'm curious, tell me a little bit about the journey that brought you to Roosevelt University. Well, I've always been in the vicinity of Roosevelt University, as I am a lifelong resident of Chicago, um, particularly the Robert Taylor Housing Projects in Inglewood. And when I was a kid, um, my mother um, was a single parent, my father was in prison, and she had other kids where she couldn't feed all of us at the same time. And I used to come downtown, particularly in front of Roosevelt, and sell my candy. I found out very quickly that you didn't have to put a price on it. You could just ask for donations and you'll get more than 50 cents, maybe a dollar or two dollars or five dollars. So I always came um, here in front of Roosevelt and I seen the diversity of students entering this particular institution. And I've never seen that before in the early 90s. As the Robert Taylors were demolished, I guess, under the pretense of um, revitalization and other people who was living in the project became more vulnerable to the expansive reach of mass incarceration. And I became a person who is a formerly incarcerated person. And while I was in prison, I worked in a law library for seven years. 
I got my associate's degree in liberal studies. And it was just a lot of different people that was in the prison who took me, I guess, differently than other inmates and spent more time on me, like similar people here do at Roosevelt. The president of Lakeland College, when I graduated, I spoke at for the graduation. He told me, like, when you get out, there's a place for you at Roosevelt. We work with Roosevelt very closely. I've already spoke to them about that. I get released. I apply for Roosevelt and win a presidential scholarship. And I'm here. <laughs> so you're getting pretty close to graduating. Yes, I am a senior and I graduate this semester in political science and a minor in legal studies. And you're headed off to graduate school, potentially. Tell me a little bit about that. So... Yeah, being at Roosevelt University, I had the opportunity to work alongside professors who encouraged me to take this interdisciplinary approach, taking these personal life experiences, telling these stories and applying um, whatever methodology to these issues to create a cohesive story. That ability has advanced me into a graduate program. And then initially I was thinking about anthropology, but I understand that that's just a lens, this cultural lens I have to situate these um, different issues. Um, but I am extremely interested in public policy and law. So Portland State has um, offered me a position in public affairs and policy. And I think that's, that's right up my alley. <laughs> That's fantastic. Congratulations. I'm really excited for you. And uh, I'm sure we, talk, we touched on it a little bit earlier, your experience with your family, your own experience in prison. So how has that shaped sort of the path you've taken at Roosevelt now going on to do this graduate work? Does, it, does that play a big role in, in how you think about what you want to do? I think it plays a massive role into what I want to do. Being in prison for seven years and then doing three years in solitary confinement for fighting on behalf of um, people who fighting for their freedom, fighting for their right to have an equal opportunity within their society. And they so happen to be constrained from a social point. And I see these constraints develop in our community everywhere. And I look at them as forms of violence, new forms of violence. This has set me on a path to wanting to make change, not just within how our social stratifications situate us with these different levels of inequities, right? I want to have an impact on our social institutions where they engage us punitively, right? Historically, marginalized communities um, engage these particular communities punitively. So I believe that this is what helped me stay focused on, on my path. Hmm. And you've already become quite active in trying to reshape the city and institutions within it in more of a direction of social justice. Can you tell us a little bit about, about what you've done there? Yeah, as an organizer for Black Lives Matter, it has gave me the opportunity to understand the dynamics of organizing in the first place and then take a collective, right? These different cultural histories, um, these unfamiliar, diverse histories. It helps reveal our shared and isolated social struggles and bringing that particular activism into my particular community who had nothing and see the success within just this one individual, right? A lot of people want to know what's going on. 
And just for those particular people wanting to know what's going on, what's happening, that's a success because they never cared. They accepted whatever the situations and the circumstances that society gave to them, and there was no tools that they have to push back and resist. Now it's a person who looks just like them, coming from hardships that they didn't even come from, and still prevailing. Work is the method, Mr. Troy Gaston, and it's organizing. It's recognizing that you stand on all these different people's shoulders, no matter what color they is, no matter if they men or or women or they classes, they allow you to stand on their shoulders and provide space for you to do better. And that's the message that I want to give out. And that's the message that I bring to Roosevelt. That's fantastic. Okay. I'm going to make you a benevolent dictator for, I don't know, a day, a month, something like that. You have a chance to implement your vision for how to create a more just society by changing the institutions in Chicago, what is your to-do list? What What do you think we really need to focus on? Well, I can't give you that answer by myself. It takes people from all different communities, everybody who got a stake right, in this country. I get emotional and I feel like I'm about to crown this podcast because it's we still love this country. Right. All the pain and struggle that we go through in this country, my generation and generations that came before us, they still love this country. So I I, I guess one of the things that I feel like I would implement is this authoritarian regime that we see within our institutions, these hierarchies, um, these ranks. Right. And us denying people who work so hard, right, to resist perpetuating the leadership goals. So I would dismantle this hierarchical perspective we live in in the United States and particularly operate from an anti-authoritarian perspective. You know, Troy, uh, I thought you said uh, service was very moving. And when I think about sometimes conversations I have with people who are more conservative and they feel somehow that Black Lives Matter or movements like that are anti-American. And I think you said it so perfectly, you know, this the kind of work you're doing. It comes from a place of love, right? It comes from a place where, you know, this is my country and I think we can do even better. And I think it's great that you framed it in that way as opposed to, you know, just this negative critique that it really comes from a place of, of thinking that it is a great country, but it can be greater. That it can do more for its people, for all citizens, for social justice. So I really like what you said there. Let me say one thing. A lot of people, when I get into PhD program, ain't going to like what I got to say because it's not going to be filtered up with all this race hate, this class hate, this sexism, this feminism, this masculinity, right? I want to create and dictate an argument with everybody a part of it, right? That help us explain how we overlap and intersect. My first job I got out was working for Amnesty International, the world's largest human rights organization that seeks humanitarian justice for refugee families. I was a canvas director. When people, my success is really from that job because I knocked on every damn door in Chicago. Every, and I know women donate behind their husband's backs. You see what I mean? So I'm seeing the love, right? I was nurtured from those doors. I was nurtured, right, from those doors. 
So when they see me out here, they understand exactly who out here because they help nurture who I am. So that's where the love comes from. You know, you have such a positive attitude, such a positive energy when I've had you in class. If I thought about my own experience, if I had gone through something like what you went through that time in prison, that time in solitary confinement, which from what I've read is incredibly hard to deal with. How did you, how do you remain, you're so positive, you're so optimistic. You know, I, I love that about you. How do you keep that spirit through those experiences? You must have seen me when I'm at your ass, right? <laughs> it, 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 it's a, 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 I'm a totally different beast when it comes down to the survival and the sustainability of well-being for others. I'm a different person, right? But going through the fight of trying to make change, we got to be able to communicate, right? Where everybody under the sound of our voice can understand, appreciate, and respect your perspective to the extent that they join the debate. And you can get, right, my grandma say, more people with this type of love of honey than you can get with salt. You see what I mean? And, 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 and you can't fake that. It's something you got to be trained to do. And it comes from people like you. I, I may had it from, from a particular standpoint, but after taking these classes and then taking social movement classes, Dr. Robinson class, taking all these classes, advance and build who I want to be. I just got to accept the information. So that's where that comes from. That's great. And you now, you still, if I remember correctly, you still work with people in prison and try to help and, and are involved in that. Tell me about your efforts there. So it, it is a hard journey because the system don't want to change. The system is comfortable and they create policies and these barriers and these regulations to maintain the status quo. So we fight against that. And I, I, I guess the way that I feel like I'm making an impact now is doing or his, history, right? Or taking these pictures because they now allow these guys to have like um, certain gadgets, and allow mm-hmm. them to take these pictures of certain moments and tell these stories because they don't allow these cameras or these civilians into these prisons, whether you are sociologists or not, they don't give a damn because they go protect, right? What's hidden, right? What society should not know. And how do we get around that, right? Is by the people who struggling, right? It's being in the forefront of telling the story because we know what has happened in history where the story has been watered down. And now when you get to talking about Tulsa, Oklahoma, you don't know what happened. You just know that somebody telling you something that happened. You know, it, it's supposed to be common information so we can learn from our history. And doing this prison um, work, we got to take that same approach, allowing those people who are experiencing a struggle to be at the forefront talking about how the system can change and what it is that they can offer as well being a part of a team. So even mm-hmm. though you got two different uh, like opponents, right, but they can come together and resolve a critical issue around mass incarceration. That sounds great. What kind of things, so you've been doing these oral histories and having them document these things, sounds like with pictures, what kind of things have you found? Maybe you already knew about them or what, sort of what, what have you discovered doing this? So, a lot of people tell me to be careful as going into a PhD program around intellectual property and, and all this stuff, which is a bunch of bullshit because information should be shared. 
for us to do better. I might not be here the next day and die with my life saving thought or idea, right? So that's a bunch of bullshit. So the issue is, is that what I'm finding and what I understood such a long time ago was that prisons are releasing individuals from solitary confinement on their outdates and pushing them straight in the streets. Now, we've mm. seen a lot of different incidents where people, particularly getting out from solitary confinement, get to the L station, they put somebody on the tracks. A lot of mass violence in the streets. If you do the research and see the people who you are apprehending and see what they record with mass incarceration and solitary confinement, you will, you will make that linkage. Right? I'm finding that the expansion of violence in Chicago particularly has a lot to do with young men getting out from prison directly from solitary confinement. Mm. Tell me, when you were in solitary, and I'm curious, what is the daily routine? I know you're very limited contact, usually very limited out time, outdoor time, sometimes not even a window. What was the kind of daily schedule in terms of your... Like, how much could you see people? Like, what, what were you allowed to do? So where all my time wasn't like that, because I had a little juice. When I went to solitary confinement, there was a big protest, 90 days of hunger strikes, right? I worked in a law library, a person who know how to file a petition to save your yeah. ass. When you take somebody away from, it's going to be a big issue. So I didn't have all of those different type of experiences, right? I always been Troy to everybody that I engage. So whoever may be the meanest, I don't get the negative aspect of the, of the stick. My engagement skills, right, is awesome. But when I first initially went in there for my first year, it was it was hell, right? Because it was a complete pushback on my abilities to communicate to the masses and have them respond based on their rights. And police officers don't like that because whatever your rights is, the policies say this is what we gonna do to you. So being in those confined cells by yourself, eating when they tell you to eat, giving you these small portions, telling you that you not go eat if you don't shut up, not giving you medication, Right. My worst experience in solitary confinement was the person who committed suicide. Right. It's terrorism that goes on in prison because you can have gang leaders who somebody with a mental health issue who they got influence over negotiating with the prisons and saying they don't get this. You're going to have a dead body today. And so not nobody killing nobody, but they can have somebody commit no different than um, suicide bombing. Right, mm. take all these pills and kill yourself. I didn't see it happen. That was my worst moment and sit in the solitary confinement because it broke my heart. Yeah, it broke it, it broke my heart. So that that, that that solitary confinement is a serious, uh, life altering, changing experience. Right, and we will stay with me forever. And I guess that's why I do a lot of pushback to um, talk about Michael Foucault, even though a lot of people don't agree with everything he say. He pinpoints right this perspective mm. about containment and isolation yeah. when he talk about those slaves being in the ships, so contained and confined to together, and how they responded in such an aggressive. Uh, manner. It's still linked to what I was saying, what's going on with the streets and violence. So yeah, solitary confinement is an issue. Yeah. 
And so you were able, despite, I mean, I'm sure it must have been when you were first in there, overwhelming, trying to figure out to, you found your way to the law library and found your way to education when you were in there. I'm curious, you've taken some legal classes from me. Uh, why not a lawyer? Why, why aren't you going to be a lawyer, Troy? I'm just uh, just curious. I'm, I think lawyers are absolutely- No pressure. I'm not trying to pressure you. <laughs> but I think lawyers are absolutely limited to a lot of these different rules that goes on in the president starting crisis, doctor, mm-hmm. legislative changes, right? You so constrained outside of what it is that you can possibly do. You It's, 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 it's not a battle that what you go do, go guarantee your win. So I think I take a different approach by changing the institutions that we're engaging, right? To, 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 to I guess, to basically situate these lawyers to be more effective than what they are when you got these judges who's following this archaic right line of reasoning. <laughs> yeah. We have we read a few of those decisions in our class together. Yes. <laughs> so is it gonna be I mean moving to Portland it's supposed to be a great place. I've never been there, but uh is it going to be, it sounds like you have such deep roots here and you've also done so much great work helping the community organize and doing these grassroots effort. Is it going to be hard to leave, to, to go to go work there? Are you maybe going to come back? What, do you, what, what are you thinking in terms of, of that? Well, Chicago is tradition. And I think Justice um, Kennedy said it so beautifully. Tradition is our starting point, but don't mean that it's the end, right? And in order for me to be the best that I can be, I got to be able to travel, get a different perspective, and, and, and this ideology, right, that forms our beliefs. It's all about environment, you know what I mean? And being able to go from one ideological pers- perspective to another ideological perspective helped me get a better understanding on how I want to proceed and how I want to communicate. Right. And if that's coming back to Chicago, well, let it be. But if it's going to California, Rhode Island, Texas, you know, whatever it may be. Right. I'm just there to do the work, to learn and then advance and drag others behind me. <laughs> well, we talked a little bit about how your experience before Roosevelt shaped you in at, Ro- you know, coming to Roosevelt. I'm curious, how has being a Roosevelt uh, shaped you or or change your thinking or giving you new tools to work with? I would say this. Roosevelt University has done a remarkable job in soliciting faculty. The professors here, they go above and beyond, right? Their analytical perspectives, they understanding of the social dynamics, not just the understanding of the social dynamics, but particularly able to target who's limited, right? And then suggest, right, how to move forward. So tell me, you know, Roosevelt University dedicated to social justice. What does that mean to you after your time there? Social justice evolves with every single generation. The needs of the country, the needs of the generation, right, is different in in every single era. 
And if the needs are different, then there's something going on with the resources. Right? There's something going on with the resources. The goals to the movement behind liberation for these historically marginalized groups. But are they prepared? Are they dedicated enough to put the time, energy, and the resources, right, into turning the wheels of justice? So I'm curious, how do you think we can address that? How can we fix it? How can we make social justice more of a reality at Roosevelt University? So I guess I'm going to respond in the most positive way, uh, the most appropriate way is, I believe, is having these cross-cultural communications. And when we have these cross-cultural communications, these social issues, these social struggles, whether they be isolated or shared, comes up. So here's the issue. Every time we have in these conversations, these different issues, right, can be tackled. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Sometimes, you know, of course, grand fixes that make major changes are, are fantastic, but sometimes it really is just small things that people don't even think about that become the stumbling block that keeps from someone from succeeding and that, that, that they're relatively easy to fix. Mm-hmm. Well, so you also are on the Student Government Association as vice president. Am I correct about that? Yes. So how has that been in terms of trying to be involved in university governance, trying to make good changes and and provide good leadership for uh, the student body? What's that been like? Oh, to some extent, it's been a pain to tell you the truth, (laughs) right? To tell you the truth, because I would say that some people are comfortable with the status quo as long as it perpetuates their own social statuses. Right. Even with these little committees, because you can use being a president, vice president or a senate to move you on to graduate school because they ask you for your extracurricular activity. So there is right a motive, motive there. You see what I mean? And I got zero tolerance for that type of stuff. Zero. So I guess the same issue I see with these the dynamics of anti-authoritarian perspective. I want to see that infused into the government association committee. Right. Another thing we want to work on is the distinctions, right, between salary and wages, mm-hmm. right? Because one of them don't have a sense of sustainability in maintaining well-being, mm-hmm. right? So we need to have a conversation about that. So those are the type of issues that I'm bringing up. Mm-hmm. That's great. And I'm sure I know very different probably from what some of the people bring up at the uh, Student Government Association. <laughs> yes, sir. So uh, you're also doing an internship that sounds quite interesting. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Well, so I was doing a move, doing an internship with Movement Lab that has recently exhaled. It was a great experience. I think you sent the email out to the class. I signed up oh. and I was the only... Yes. I'll give myself all the credit then. Yes. I was the one, the only um, people from Roosevelt who was selected to participate in that program. And what we were doing were basically having connections with Democratic chairpersons of every single county in the United States and try to build a coalition with those chairmen so those resources that they have can be. distributed equally so everybody won't be without 
something, especially at a time when our democracy is at stake. So having that experience, talking to these county chair people, interviewing these county chair people for them to have access to grants and loans, um, it was an ultimate experience for me. And I was so appreciated to be working um, with these people who are on the ground, who understand what it means to push the needle forward for a different America. Mm, that's fantastic. All right. So different America. Tell me, as you move into the future here and you go to graduate school, what's your hope? What do you what are you envisioning for your own future? And what would you like to envision for the future of America? So I, I guess I say. My future is that I definitely want to go into academics, right? I want to be a professor one day, hopefully, work on my presentation skills. No. <laughs> but Your presentation yes. skills are excellent. <laughs> but, yes, I, hopefully that I can help shape um, the minds, right? I hope that I can be a, a professor that came into my life, right? I, ever since I was five years old, teachers told me that I was going to do okay, right? And I want to be that teacher in the future to tell other struggling students or students who may not be struggling equally, right, that they are all a part of a a, a collective that make our country great. And what I hope to see in America in the future is that we all understand that we are part of this feminist quest, right, that we understand that we all stand on each other's shoulders from one road to another because we living in this society that had these different hierarchies and if we don't do good in these perspective roles then we fail but it's somebody there to catch us so that's what i want to see more often in america you know i said this at the beginning i really meant it and after talking to you i still mean it one of the things i loved about having you as a student in my classroom is the passion you bring and and it's really inspiring how did you find that passion? What 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 advice do you have for your fellow students about finding a similar passion? Because uh, I think it's a it's a very powerful engine to uh, achieve what you want to do. I recognize the passion that I have for survival. It comes in different forms, particularly for all those people who believed in me, right? A passion don't have a face on it sometimes. It's just going to be words. But all of these people didn't have a lot of evidence, right, to want to believe in me, right? I imagine the level of scrutiny that they got to put themselves through to support me, right, and to defend me. It take a lot of courage. It take a lot of effort. It take a lot of passion, right? And that and that passion is believing that love, respect, and dedication can resolve a lot of these critical issues that we have every single day. And a message that I give to my students is to never tell no, never allow somebody to tell you what you can and cannot do. Don't accept. No from nobody. If you got a burning desire, right, in your heart to make change, right, that you don't even think it's even possible, that you think that it's just a, a, a idea that's coming from a tree, you tap into it. It's a seed, 
right? It needs nurturing. And that nurturing comes from all of these different wise people that surround you, pouring water on that idea so it can grow. That's what I want them to tell. Don't be discouraged. Always move forward and persist in what it is that you believe in. Well, Troy, I find your story incredibly inspiring. First of all, I am convinced that you're going to be a fantastic professor. I think your students in the future are going to be incredibly lucky to have you as their teacher. And I'd say I find your story incredibly inspiring. What you went through with your family life, the Robert Taylor Holmes prison, now Roosevelt, now going off to get your PhD. It is remarkable and is an incredible testament to, I think, you and your inner strength and your passion and basically your your whole uh, character and way of being. And, and it's inspiring. And frankly, it makes me proud to be a professor at Roosevelt University. So thanks so I much. Gotta for push back. I just got to push back for one second and say, it's not me. It's all of these different people who share Professor Tree. It is all of these people who's compromising their space, sharing their space. It is not me. Our world is not situated for me to make it, right? I just need to do the work. But people go create the space for me. That's what has happened to me. So that's what we need to be focused on, passing that space. That's a very generous attitude, and may we create more spaces like that because I would love to find more and more of these stories just like yours because I think they're they're just the kind of stories that would make us a better society. Thank you, Professor. So thanks so much for coming on, Troy. It's been a pleasure talking with you as always. Thank you for having me, sir. I hope you have a nice day. And Justice for All is produced by Roosevelt University and is available at roosevelt.edu or anywhere you get your podcasts. The music for And Justice for All is written and produced by Jesse Case. Thanks for listening.